around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. And I'm one of the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I love that show. <laughs> Thanks for making it, Adam. I'm the other one, Ben Harrison. We make it together. 50-50's the deal. Yeah. Favored nations. But when you do the introduction to the show, someone has to go first. <laughs> I went first this time. Yeah, we uh your your odds I'm evens. That's how that's how we split it up. Yeah. Like uh like the movies in Star Trek, uh the <laughs> the odds are good and the evens are bad, right? Is that how it works? I thought it was the other way around. Oh it is. See I was trying to make myself uh <laughs> not as the good. The hero as yours. of the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um where are you broadcasting from today, buddy? I'm about 100 yards away from the crashing waves of a beach. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, Rob's will have the beach filter on. <laughs> uh, if we had tried to record a half an hour ago, he would have needed the leaf blower filter. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a that's a $50 upgrade to Adobe Audition, right? The leaf blower is the most useless of homeowner technologies, I think, right? It's a very it's a very frustrating invention because I feel like it <laughs> it like makes one person's life slightly better at the expense of all other people's lives. Yeah, you know? yeah. it's like kicking a bunch of crap up off the ground into the air. So if I walk my dog past somebody that's using a leaf blower, I'm sure I'm breathing in all kinds of carcinogenic garbage and uh, scares the dog. One of those two stroke motors that I'm sure it's like as polluting as a Humvee. (laughs) It's like an old-timey locomotive amount of pollution. (laughs) Like, uh, thanks. Thanks for doing that. (laughs) There's no other device I can think of that looks as cool while doing as little, right? (laughs) Like that that ratio I don't think has ever been bested by leaf blower. I was walking through the park the other day, and I think that you know, like like when you're when you walk uh, through a shoot, like a, a film or or television shoot that's on the street, and they're mm-hmm. not blocking off foot traffic, they have to put up a sign that says like, "By walking past this sign, you're agreeing to like release your image in case it appears in the video that we're shooting." Right. Like, you can't sue us for you having been in the background of this and not getting paid or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and and the thing that they were shooting, I think, was, like, America's Got Talent or one of those type of uh, competition reality shows. And I have no idea what it was, but the, uh, the people were, uh, like, a mom and a kid, and the kid had an ice cream cone, and then there was a PA just out of frame with an electric leaf blower and he was blowing the kid and the mom with it and like you know like getting the ice cream to like spray all over the place (laughs) i I did the loop around the park twice and they were just doing this for like 40 minutes just a long ass time of like these this poor kid just getting leaf blower right in the face (laughs) 
And the leaf blower was blowing melted ice cream into her face? Yeah, I think they were filling it up with like um like whipped cream or shaving cream or something. It was it was you know, it was meant to look like soft swirl, but uh yeah, it uh, <laughs> I was like really blown away that everybody was just okay with the idea that they were hitting a 8-year-old child in the face with a leaf blower from you know, a foot and a half away. This is not a talent. No. Not a talent. I don't know what it was. If if uh, if you watch any of those reality shows and and you hear this and you can tell me what that was, uh, I would I would be very curious to know. I don't think I'm interested. <laughs> you just you just want to limit all communications. I really do. Like I like I guess I'm gonna have to mute leaf blower references now <laughs> in my Twitter mentions. Why do you even look at the mentions? You're so upset by them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's because uh, one out of ten of them delight me. <laughs> that's the thing. That's that's the gambler's fallacy. Maybe the next one but, will be the good one. But the other ten like, make you so angry and make yeah. you so much angrier than the one that delights you. It's weird that, like, uh, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying this, that, like, it makes you sad and me angry. Like, I think I think that's how we, that's our relationship to these things. Yeah, it makes me angry at myself, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> ben, uh, today's Star Trek Discovery episode came out on Valentine's Day. Yeah, the most romantic episode yet. Yeah, uh, did you, did you have any special times for Valentine's? I uh, I watched this episode on my iPad after my wife uh, fell asleep. So uh, oh, our, nice. all of our all of our Valentine's celebrations had uh, had passed by the time I uh, by the time I watched this, and um, I think that was the right way to do it. I didn't uh, I didn't pause Valentine's Day in the middle to watch my Star Trek show. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have gone over well. How about you? Because you guys are you guys are uh, having beachy vacate times. That that uh yeah, that's a potentially tricky pill to swallow. It, we uh, we went out and saw some whales. That's what we did for our wow. vacay. It was lots of fun, just like Star Trek Four. Just like it, <laughs> I I put on a I put on a terry cloth robe and dove into the water. <laughs> Sank did immediately. You- did you fire some <laughs> torpedoes from your bird of prey at, at some whaling boat? Yeah. <laughs> Felt good. Take those motherfuckers out. Yeah, Ben's position is uh, is most definitely attack the indigenous people celebrating their whale hunt. <laughs> I'm, I'm always going to side with the whales. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Well, uh, I appreciate your mastery of science, Adam. <laughs> Do you uh, do you want to get into the episode today? I really do. I can't wait. It's uh, it, we've waited almost forty minutes to get into this app. We might as well do it. Let's talk about uh, Star Trek Discovery season two, episode five, Saints of Imperfection. It's written by Kirsten Bayer, and it is directed by David Barrett. And uh, David Barrett's the guy who helmed the uh, Time Loop episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Oh, wow. He did a much better job on that one than he did on this one. Oh, hot take. Yeah. 
this uh, this episode did not delight me. Um, <laughs> so we start with Michael Burnham sprinting to engineering where Tilly got sucked into the upside down. Um, it's a it's another Michael Burnham voiceover uh, as bookends to the episode. And um, one thing that caught my attention is that she refers to Stamets as a widower in this uh, voiceover, which I guess implies that he was actually married to Dr. Culber. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very subtle. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't. I was checking for a ring. Didn't see a ring. Yeah. Maybe they're not ring people, though. Ben, I, I don't think I like the Grey's Anatomy-ification of Star Trek Discovery at this point. Like, the the idea of being in someone's head instead of listening to a captain's log. Starting to find a little grating. I wonder if it is a log, though, and they just think that they're being cool by cutting that bit out. It sounds so much like Grey's Anatomy without a star date, though. Yeah. I mean, that star date. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. Is that good? I I don't willingly watch it. It is incidentally on in rooms that I am sometimes in. <laughs> there is a, a Grey's Anatomy on in my house. It's being broadcast at you. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like your cat. That's what you're saying. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um we do get some confirmation I think that Michael Burnham and Tilly are still roomies in the college sense of the term. Yeah. Like beds in the same room with each other roommates. Burnham doesn't go so far as to clutch Tilly's pillow to herself in grief uh, because Tilly's pillow is fucking gross. (laughs) We all know that. (laughs) So smelly. Yeah. (laughs) All that fermented drool. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so they uh, they catch up with Spock's shuttle and and they're pursuing it into a nebula, and this was a little confusing to me initially because this nebula is the same color as the red beacons. Right. I thought that they could have just had a different color nebula, and I wouldn't have had to rewind it, you know? The person on board this shuttle threatens to ignite the nebula, thus obscuring its path of travel and, and like, forcing its escape from the Discovery. I love how in the aftermath of this scene, no one questions the pilot's motivations for this like (laughs) once we find out who the pilot is no one brings up the idea of destroying a nebula (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh those nebulas are dropping like flies um so many times in this season the person coming aboard is is not who we expected right it's uh, and at phaser point anytime somebody like Get the names of the people beaming aboard, you know? Get a manifest before the shuttle docks in the shuttle bay so that this is not constantly a shock. Like, this is basic FAA regulations that the Discovery (laughs) is not observing. Right. Those poor people couldn't leave the fire festival because there was one extra person on the plane. (laughs) Was that the problem with the fire festival? Did you see that documentary? Yeah, I saw both. Oh man, the the part where like the all of the social media oh, bozos yeah. get on the airplane and there's like 117 of them on board, but there's only supposed to be 116. They have to stay an entire extra day. Boy, <laughs> the missed opportunity in that doc was identifying who that was and getting an interview with them. Like, yeah. I want to know 
how that went down. Because if I'm if I'm not a ticketed passenger, I'm going to try to stow away on that plane too. Dude, I mean, like true crime podcasts are really where the money is. Do you think we should start one that is just about <laughs> figuring out who that was? <laughs> that person's probably a garbage person, like everyone else who who attempted to go to that festival. So I only want to do projects about interesting things that. That's me. the name of the show: Garbage Fire. Uh, yeah, they're trying to get on the plane. We're going to be delayed for a while. What's the count again? From Uxbridge Shimoda, and definitely not Jerry Media, I'm Rob Schulte, and this is Garbage Fire. For the last year, I've been following two Star Trek podcasters trying to get to the bottom of a garbage person at a garbage festival. It can be about humiliating that person. Yeah. Yeah. You and I just set out to put them on the biggest blast we possibly can. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) That's a project in good hands, I think. (laughs) Quite the welcome, my dear. Yeah. So this is uh, Agent Giorgio. Turns out Pike knows uh, Prime Universe Giorgio, who he assumes this to be. He, uh, he really does a lot of, like, expositioning at her as they walk through the ship. Yeah. Which uh, is like, man, like, don't give her information about the person she's impersonating. It's just right. going to make it easier for her to do that. Yeah, it's very, like, we've seen movies with twins and spies and any number of, of people trying to, to masquerade as other people. Look, man, undercover cops got to be Marlon Brando, right? This is their trick. They just listen. Yeah. Tell you what, though, Ben, uh, Prime Universe Giorgio sounds like a pretty fun hang. I never yeah. got this feeling about her in her brief appearances in season one, right? She didn't seem like a partier to me. I mean, it's kind of, it's very Captain Picard arc, right? Like, yeah. like he used to be kind of like a rock'em sock'em, like fun guy that challenges bad guys to domjot and yeah. goes out partying with his friends. And then he kind of, in his captain years, became a much more subdued and subtle person you ever see philippa Giorgio compete in the academy century club <laughs> damnedest thing i ever saw <laughs> <laughs> so no one better tell me that philippa Giorgio can't drink she can knock him back so she explains that she's part of uh, starfleet intelligence now and not as uh not as retired as her file says she is and uh she shows her badge which she keeps in her pocket right (laughs) which uh like a little dishonest right it's like when you go to a conference and they give you like a big credential badge thing that just sucks like it's too it's like big and gaudy and dumb yeah i don't want to wear that shit i'll put it in my pocket (laughs) i'm feeling Giorgio here yeah she just keeps it in there so she can pick her teeth from time to time right right it seems like with what we learn about these badges that you wouldn't want to stick it in a pocket because it would uh, it would hit the comm all the time. It would right. be pocket calling people. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's called Philippa Butt Dial Giorgio <laughs> among uh, among her colleagues. <laughs> There's some real fun uh, triangulation here between Pike and Giorgio and Michael Burnham and Giorgio and Michael Burnham and Pike and Leland and Pike. Like, there's a, a conflict rhombus happening here. 
they all have different relationships and it's really fun as a viewer to like know what Michael knows about Giorgio and know that she's not allowed to tell Pike about that, you know. Yeah. You know, that comes to a head like it's at some point when Ash Tyler beams aboard, Pike is like is on to Michael Burnham about how there is some stuff being concealed from him and she's like I want to explain this to you but it's going to take a while. It's like an entire season of television I have to walk you through, basically. I hate this part because Pike's attempt at being a world's best stepdad is (laughs) coming at a cost of his own knowledge of people and circumstance that I just can't get with. Like, he's the captain. Uh, One of his officers is telling him that she's concealing something from him to be revealed later. And I just don't think he can let that fly. It's choosing interesting story instead of realistic continuity. I felt differently about it. I think he's showing her confidence and trust in that moment. You know, he's he does not keep her on a tight leash. Like, he wants her to be making decisions, you know, in context without him. And I really liked that moment. I just don't feel like she's earned his trust the way number one has, and yet Pike is conferring a number one amount of trust to her. Yeah, but he's been doing that for the last few episodes, I think. Like, he... Yeah, it's not a change in in behavior, that's for sure. Right. Like, it's very possible to make the case that he shouldn't be extending that trust, but it's consistent, at least. Yeah. Uh, So we catch up with Tilly, who has... uh, has found herself uh, being pulled out of of the uh, of the cocoon inside the mycelial network, and this is an environment we've visited before, in uh, like when Stamets had his eyes all milky white, right? Um, and she's there with May, and May is explaining that she's brought Tilly here to to fight and kill a monster that is destroying the joint. You don't get to ask for my help, May. It would seem as though May has confused Tilly with Killy, right? Because if what your mission is is to recruit someone to go back to your home and help kill a monster, (laughs) uh, Prime Universe Tilly is probably not your choice, right? Right. Like, Tilly is brave and badass, but this is not the way that she is typically thought of as being brave and badass. Yeah, not in the way that's needed for this mission. It seems like May has a very limited and kind of keyhole understanding of what humans are and what they're capable of, right? Yeah, I don't think she understands the distinction between uh, the Mirror Universe and Prime Universe versions of these people. Because later on, she's not angry at Stamets at all upon his appearance in this world where before she mentioned that he was the architect of their destruction. Yeah, it, it's very hard to understand like what the perspective is from inside the network because they've definitely had problems with both Mirror Universe and Prime Universe ships visiting it or you know using its resources or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to me that May makes a distinction or understands that there's a difference or anything. Right. But but the fact that it's like not brought up and explored at all is, you know, makes it hard to know what to think of that. It makes it hard to view May's people as a threat. Like in terms of their power, 
they would seem to be far, far, far more powerful than the Discovery or its crew or the Federation even. And yet yeah. they are depicted as very weak given what's happened to them by virtue of, of the mycelial network being used for travel. They are facing an existential threat from this monster that she's brought Tilly to kill. And yet they have like mutual admiration for their mastery of science. That's like one of the big beats in this scene. And yeah. I think of it as kind of like a Venn diagram. Like there's some things that they can both do, but there's big circles on either side of that of things that, you know, Tilly has no idea about and vice versa. Right. Um, but uh, so so May is a, a member of this species uh, called the Jacep that are basically the insects of the mycelial network. They eat everything and poop it out and mm -hmm. convert matter to other different useful matter. And uh, They're making matter, honey. <laughs> she's afraid of a certain type of tree that grows in the network. Like uh, Tilly is like reaching out to, I guess, le like do a Riker lean on one of these trees. And, and May is like, don't touch that. <laughs> I thought I saw it as sort of like an infection of its bark instead of the tree itself. Oh, huh. Regardless, like it is, it's something that one should not touch for fear right. of being hurt or killed. Yeah. I had to leave Konosh. I'm never going back. So Ash Tyler is, uh, is liaised to the ship. And so Michael Burnham has to confront him again. This is the first time she's seen him since he went to go be Vogue on what she calls Kronos, and he, he calls Kon Konosh. <laughs> I love that Ash Tyler's the guy that just got back from Spain and is now <laughs> yeah. pronouncing everything. With uh, the lisp, like, uh, the Castilian yeah. lisp. <laughs> Abitha, you know, like <laughs> he's annoying everyone he's come back to work with. <laughs> yeah, she says, uh, who do you seek? Spook! <laughs> 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 what do you eat? Tapas! <laughs> yeah, uh, Michael Burnham's uh, lucky she found Ash not napping, taking his, uh, his usual siesta in the afternoon. <laughs> Eating dinner at 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's actually better for you, Michael, this way of life. Look at how happy they are. <laughs> Pike does not trust Ash Tyler one little bit, does he? I think he's forced not to because of Michael's reluctance to tell him anymore. Like, all Pike has is is the story. Michael Burnham has promised to flesh out that story. But yeah. without it, all he has is his, are his suspicions. So that makes sense, I think. But boy, uh, Pike Big Dogs Ash Tyler the entire episode. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. Yeah. So the plan that Stamets comes up with is we're gonna go like we're gonna like dip the ship into the network. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, an away team will be will be like inside the spork box, and the way the way this is gonna work is everybody else will go to the side of the ship that is not slightly inside of it and uh, when we come out of the spork box we'll be in it and we'll and we'll go rescue tilly like stamets's whole thing is tilly is definitely still in there she's still alive because he like scans the 
the cocoon and finds no evidence of like human DNA or or lipids or anything inside of it. So uh, it's it's some kind of you know dimensional transporter. And so they put on like their away team armor. And uh, it's Michael Burnham and Stamets. We do get that scene of like hemispheric evacuation from one side of the ship to the other. But yeah. I was really hoping we'd get a scene of that Geordie looking guy uh, unnecessarily diving under a blast shield. <laughs> <laughs> like before it even comes down at all. Yeah, that would have been great. And then and then striking the, the pose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, Just a little throwback. So they jump in to the network. We see this from both like the real space perspective and also the mycelial forest perspective where the it's like half of a saucer section is coming out of the sky and kind of crashing into the surface. And there's there's a time limit that's established early on that the Jasep will like corrode through the hull within an hour so they they don't have much time for this rescue mission but uh fortunately tilly and may actually board the ship the moment it crashes and like tilly has to promise may that like they're this is going to be good and they're doing the right thing yeah she kind of makes the case that there's stuff on board that might help them like yeah some roundup or something but it seems like she could have also gotten may to like call off the jasep like because they're <laughs> right. not eat they're not eating Tilly right, and they no. could also be not eating the ship, but that's not I, I guess a level of trust that May is willing to extend. There have been times when a few of the spores have gone in and bitten Tilly, and May has made them stop. So this seems yeah. to be something within her control. She could tell them to knock it off with the eating of the ship. I love this effect. The effect here is one of the best parts of this episode. The the ship in a ditch perspective of this right is something i really like and the sort of starship mine look of the ship being underwater right with the verderon beam or whatever yeah the the sweep that's going through it yeah yeah confining them to smaller and smaller amounts of ship i like it it's a it's a visual look at the time limit that we have here to succeed in this mission they explain that uh, that wall as being the thing that probably warped all those people on the Glen also. So, you know, we never got the explanation for that in season one, why those people were all soupy looking. And I guess this is it. Who's the blue shirt that got killed in the first episode of this season? Connolly? That sounds right. I feel like they killed Connolly too soon. This would have been great. <laughs> Throw him into the beam, get him all fucked up. Yeah. I was surprised that we never saw this in action. Uh, uh, kind of an interesting bit of restraint here from a show that has been at times very unrestrained in right. its level of gore. Yeah. Well, maybe they felt like since we'd already seen it once, we didn't need to see it again. Yeah. Maybe it's just not titillating anymore. I don't know. You, you just need more to feel anything. Wow. They're like totally burned out on. Uh-huh. <laughs> We've watched too extreme of gore. Yeah. We have uh, Tilly and May like kind of like going through the hallways. Tilly has armed herself with a phaser rifle. More powerful and generally larger than the type one or type two. Stamets and Burnham are looking for her and they find her. It's like guns up until they can kind of establish that it's all cool. 
And what Tilly explains is like, we actually need to help May because like we have done something bad that is going to kill all of her people. And, uh, and that is introduce this monster to the network. We got to go, got to go waste it. And what they figure out is, uh, that the monster is in fact, feral Hugh Culber. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's been here that long at long enough to grow a, a a beard that would take me 10 years to grow. (laughs) Well, that's not saying much, though. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. Like, my timeline for beard growth is, is vastly different than anyone else's. One thing that is very clear, though, is that he has not been using his black toothbrush. Yeah, he is looking hella bedraggled. Say, black alert on toothbrush use. Black alert. <laughs> He's black got alert. that great saltwater hair, though, that I've come to really enjoy from my time at the beach, Ben. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's fun. Nice, nice amount of volume. Yeah. This is when Michael Burnham finally radios up to the bridge to, like, give them a status update. (laughs) I feel like this is the first example of the timing just falling apart completely in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, the second they find Tilly, she should be on that radio going, like, we found her. Right. Because that was their mission. That was the mission. (laughs) Yeah. So, So they find Tilly. They... They now have found Culber, but Culber is, like, not in his right mind and runs away. There's some question about whether or not he's real, too, or just a manifestation. Pike is like, you guys got to get your asses back. And they're like, well, it's not that simple because Culber just ran away from us. So we're going to at least have to find him uh, before before we come back. (laughs) Pike gets back on the intercom, like, basically repeating the same message he told the crew before about Tilly, (laughs) only this time it's about Culber. (laughs) The crew looks up to the speakers like, how many times are we going to do this? I would be so terrified to hear the the speech that (laughs) that Captain Pike does. Yeah. The beginning of that speech is like a a real pants shooter. (laughs) It comes out of nowhere, too. If you're just some random dude with a mop... Uh, uh, on some deck, like wrenching on some piece of equipment to over the intercom. Star Starfleet is a promise. Oh boy, here it goes. Here we go. <laughs> I might rather not know. Tbh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just tell me I've got to get to the starboard side of the ship for a while, and tell me no more. So the ship is kind of getting chewed up pretty badly and also sinking further into the network. Right. The kind of B storyline is this emergency where the ship is getting deeper and deeper and that that wall is getting closer and closer to them. And it turns out that Section 31 ship that we saw a few episodes ago has actually just been hanging out in the neighborhood the entire time disguised as a an asteroid or something. So it takes down its um it's like hologram field and does a whole new kind of tractor beam on the disco which kind of it kind of reminded me of that um remember that episode where Wesley Wesley the boy the boy young Wesley Crusher my son and Picard are like off to Starfleet Academy and then the Enterprise has to rescue a planet from a radioactive garbage scow. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and they try to mount 
thrusters on the on the garbage scow to like get it out of the way of the planet. Right. Yeah. It's like a combination of those thrusters and a tractor beam. Yeah. They're using this to buy themselves minutes at a time. Except for on the other side, like we're like catching up with Culber and going through like pages and pages of expositional dialogue about how this happened and why Hugh Culber is in here and how we should probably rescue him. Yeah, the reality of this scene is tell me later. Like <laughs> let's focus on getting out and getting to safety. <laughs> right. Right. And then and then the exposition and the science explanation of what happened. Like it's both too much exposition and too much explanation and also an explanation that is far-fetched even for a Star Trek plot. Right. You could argue that it's also totally unnecessary. You don't need any of this in order to want to save this person who looks like Culber and bring him to the other side to find out later. And if anything, it prolongs the mystery in a useful and interesting way. Right. But instead, it's a MacGruber sketch. Yeah. I mean, the scene between Culber and Stamets is sweet and beautiful and good, but it's hard to appreciate it fully in the context of of the of the story as it's developing it's it's too urgent of a moment to have this kind of of sweet involved you're too worried that the ship is gonna die yeah and then another turn that this episode takes that i didn't love was that there was another non-death death like this is on the heels of last week's episode where we had a 10 minute goodbye scene for saru and then he didn't die. We, you know, we have them going back to the spork box and the scene where Culber can't get across the barrier because he's made out of the wrong kind of matter now. And right. he and Stamets have to say goodbye to each other one more time. And Culber is like a, a hero because he's like, go live your life. I'll let myself be consumed by the network. Yeah, he's sort of like suicide by network right in front of him. <laughs> he starts aiming a phaser at the spores. <laughs> You're gonna have to kill me. <laughs> it's me or you. <laughs> um, I wondered, like, wouldn't Tilly have to go back through the cocoon also if this was the case? They really, really sped through this part, and like the math of it would seem to indicate that because Tilly wasn't homemade, she can go back. The explanation for Culber being there is that somehow Stamets like was kind of half in half out in that period where he was he had the milky eyes mm-hmm. and he like brought Culber's life energy into the network where he was he was the lightning rod the conduit between the two worlds think of all the things that Stamets touched when he had those milky eyes though like, <laughs> there should I imagine be bio like, beds and <laughs> yeah there's a pile of clothes and like some hospital jello and uh there's dr pollard and an entire other medical staff over there that they're not going to bring back i mean the jello actually explains a question i had which is what was culber eating while he was over there right right maybe maybe stamets uh managed to transport enough food for him to sustain himself the jello is what drove him mad though so the idea is because culber isn't made of the same stuff they need to make him out of the right stuff to send him through and the only thing with the right stuff is the cocoon on that side because the cocoons have been used as a form of transporter and 
if if you were to use the cocoon that Tilly transported in, there's enough of her of her biological matter in there to make a culber out of it. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll roll the dice on this. Nobody knows if it's going to work or not. And so there's that tantalizing moment when they get back and they look at the cocoon and it's like, you know, they let a few beats go by letting you wonder whether it's going to happen. And uh, sure enough, it does. Sure enough, they show you Culber's whole butt. <laughs> yeah, real taint shot. It would have been great if Culber uh, like leaned up and had uh, Mary Wiseman's hair. <laughs> like it, it was an imperfect creation. <laughs> he was the uh, the Curzoto of this yeah. episode. I've decided to stay where I am in this body. <laughs> kind of begs the question, though, because we don't we get a scene of of Culber in Six Bay uh, getting a Xerox copy machine run over him a couple of times. Like, is this the version of Culber that we knew, or is this going to be a weird other? The way that Giorgio is, the way that many characters are, like is yeah. is this is this going to be a monster, or or is this going to be the Culber that Stamets knows and loves? Um, hard to say. I think uh, you know this is an episode that I, I felt was in a surprising position in terms of the episode that led into it because so much happened to Saru last episode and he's barely in this one. Right, And I really wanted to see an exploration of the meaning of the last episode for Saru. And instead, it's all about Stamets and Culber. And ben, you could, you could get there with three lines of dialogue, too, and they, and they don't give him anything to do or say. Jumping ahead, it looks like next episode is that. But, yeah. but now I really want to know what's up with Culber, and I wonder if we'll get anything about Culber in the next episode, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The order just seems strange. But maybe it shouldn't be so simple. But uh but the day is saved. The the discovery is like pretty shredded looking, but it um it seems to have come out of uh, this adventure in one piece. I kind of like that there's burnt cheese on the pizza cutter, you know, as it <laughs> rotates back into square, like Yeah. You can see how badly it's been damaged. That's a good effect. Looks good like a Two-Face from Batman look now. Right. (laughs) We get a few more beats, though. Uh, One is uh, Captain Pike beaming over to the Section 31 ship to to, uh, meet up with Leland and Admiral Bob, who's, uh, who's, I think her haircut is a little bit longer. We might have to call her Admiral Lob now. (laughs) Long Bob. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay she really has to parent pike and leland in this scene yeah it is a very real like she's she's driving the minivan and trying to keep the kids from beating each other up on the way to soccer practice <laughs> truly and she actually convinces them to you know have heartfelt apologies for each other and uh, and she tasks them with working together to find Spock. This is now an admiral level task. Yeah, the thing that's kind of raised the tension on the Spock story is that tachyon radiation is coming from these signals, which could only indicate a time travel disruption, a cloaking device, or a transporter signal. 
or any combination of the three. Yeah, or some fourth thing that we don't even know about yet. <laughs> a fourth thing that is a combination of those things and another. It's a hell of a combination. Who knows? The, we then get a hologram to real-life confrontation between Burnham and Giorgio. You know, Giorgio, her, her motivations are really unclear still which I like. She's still a total chaos agent. And right. we've seen we've seen the manifestation of that a couple of times in this episode. At one point, she big dogs Leland uh, by implying that she has like gone behind the firewall in his personal computer and gotten some dirt on him that she can use as leverage. I love that part. It seems like Leland really wants to be rid of her. Like he's trying pretty hard to get Pike to take Giorgio instead of Ash Tyler. <laughs> Pike is like, no thanks. (laughs) I love that even Admiral Bob is like that. Like, she knows exactly where Giorgio needs to be and not be. But uh, Giorgio is asking for Michael Burnham to trust her. And uh, I guess they're going to have to work together. Giorgio's whole perspective is that she's got to get him before Spock is subject to vigilante justice at the hands of the Federation. Like, her case is totally nonsensical to me. Yeah, she's she is taking all the responsibility for doing this by just kind of placing it on herself, you know. Yeah, and and because they're under orders to get along from Admiral Bob, like is Admiral Bob even a credible person when it comes to like I don't feel like she's made very many right decisions as a leader. And so I would imagine this this peace between them is going to fall apart pretty fast. Hard to say. Um, That's going to be my prediction, Ben. They're going wow. to be working against each other. It's going to be a race. Yeah, you know, like I I was making the case for maybe Section 31 had something to do with Spock's disappearance in the last episode. Yeah. And I feel like that's still potentially on the table or like, and and now I'm thinking even like if it is something like that, it might be Giorgio or somebody else in Section 31 doing something despite what Section 31 wants with the deal or something like that, you know? Right, and what's what's newly Spanish Ash Tyler going to do? Like, wh- what's his involvement in all this? It's actually pronounced F. Tyler. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, no, I think this is my first one of the season that I thought kind of clanged. Um you know, I think, and I think a lot of the problems are solvable, even potentially solvable in an edit, you know? Right. Or just an, an edit of the script, really. Like, I think all the parts of the script are fine, but they're kind of in a weird order. And, like, I, I just think, like, when you're going through what you're going to be shooting and you see somebody on page 30 say, we have three minutes before the ship explodes, and then the next five pages are dialogue between characters that don't seem to care about the fact that the ship is going to explode or have any urgency in what they're talking about. You have to go like, okay, this can't be here. Like we have to either put the thing about the ship is going to explode in three minutes at the end of the five pages of dialogue or have the five pages of dialogue take place when we're back in, uh, you know, when we're back in safe space. Why don't they want to add tension to this moment? If you pick them up and put them uh, near the cocoon or near the spork box 
all right. of a sudden you're running this scene in the face of that of that timeline yeah and and you have other characters there like portraying this as the private emotional moment accomplishes only the emotional and it does not serve the story as we know it like you're saying and i feel like this show knows how to do that math yeah yeah so it does it seems strange that they kind of missed it this time but you know it's also really hard to make a tv show so <laughs> i don't know did you like the episode yeah it's i mean answering your question uh not as much as the others just like you it is encouraging to dislike an episode because you know it's capable of more. It's like it's right. like a parent being like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> like, you know what this show can do because you've seen it perform so many times. Like, it can do exactly. this math and that it chooses not to here. I just, it's not like I'm upset. I don't understand it. I don't understand the choices this show made. Yeah, I think the effects are so good. Like, they continue to be totally stunning in a at the movie theater kind of quality. Right. I think I think they're great. One other thing I wanted to bring up was I think we're getting close to having enough footage to create a reel of just Owo and Detmer glancing at each other in reaction <laughs> shots. I think that yeah. happens twice an episode and I think you could probably do a full minute of them looking at each other now. <laughs> I would like to see that. I'm going to put that out in the world. Yeah, yeah, where is that gif? <laughs> yeah. One thing this episode does do well is like it makes monstrousness about perspective. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that was something that hit a viewer over the head too hard or not, but I thought that was a concept that was interesting to me. The idea of of Culber not being an enemy, he was just defending himself, much like the people who live in the spores were not monsters, they were just defending themselves, just like Discovery was just trying to defend itself. Like this compounding yeah. amount of defense turns defenders into monsters against those that it they defend against. And I think those are interesting themes to explore. I'm really glad you brought that up because that, that was the one thing that I thought is potentially really interesting about where this episode is in the order because of what yeah. we see in the reel about the next episode. Yeah. So, uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. You want to check our P1s? Got to check those P1s, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. The message goes like this. All podcasting is based on deception. When you're able to podcast, you must seem unable. I imagine you have your own command now, the captain of your own ship. I have always tried to show you by example. The best way to know yourself is to know others. You are curious and explorer. So I'm leaving you my most beloved possession, handed down through my family for centuries. My hope is that you will use it to continue to investigate the mysteries of the universe and keep your eyes and heart open. It's a telescope. Ben, this is an ad for uh, Day 11 podcast. Uh, this is a podcast that talks about Westworld, 13 Reasons Why, Better Call Saul, House of Cards, and Star Trek Discovery. Wow. Uh, you can go to day11podcast.com or search Day 11 Star Trek Discovery. So a competing Star Trek Discovery podcast advertising on our Star Trek Discovery podcast. Hey, your, your money is good here. <laughs> Well, that sounds like a great show if you, uh, if you know, we, we always just run out of material when, when Star Trek Discovery is out of season. But uh, these guys have made the smart choice of also reviewing other peak television television shows. 
competitors to both the Greatest Discovery and Ben's very own Westworld podcast. Oh, yeah. They're really coming for our lunch money, Ben. Yeah. I think that I have the worst Westworld podcast, though. (laughs) So check out uh, day11podcast.com to find out more. Adam, we have another priority one message here. It is from Sweet Bijou, and it's for Jeremy. goes like this. To my beautiful bearded boyfriend, thank you for your love, support, and bedtime giggles. Without you, I would never have known the joy of cuddling up to Trek at the end of the day. Happy 35th birthday. My gift to you, immortalization in righteously embarrassing pot. Mm. Your butt is too good for this world. Love, 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 your sweet bijou. Too good for this world. Yeah. Must be pretty good. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I mean, it, I think uh, everybody knows that we live in the mirror universe. Maybe Jeremy belongs in the prime universe. Uh, is Wilson Cruz's butt the first full butt we've seen in Star Trek? Wow. I mean, it's more than full butt. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's 125% butt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that and uh, and Jeremy's now. <laughs> uh, happy birthday, Jeremy! Happy thirty fifth! Happy birthday, Jeremy! Uh, if you have a message about a creative project or a message to uh, someone with a really great butt, you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron where commercial messages are $200 and butt-related messages are $100, uh, both of which are a great, great way to support the ongoing production of The Greatest Discovery. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. Uh, my drunk Shimoda for this episode is Saru. Um, there's that uh, moment where Ash Tyler shows up on the bridge, but Stamets has the floor and is doing his PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. on what they should do to rescue Tilly. So, I mean, like, we got a bunch of takes as we go around the bridge. I'm sure Owo and Detmer <laughs> exchange glances in this moment. But uh, right. when the camera finds Saru, you can just tell that all he wants is to dump those ganglia out. And he feels <laughs> he just feels naked because he can't do it. Yeah. There's nothing to dump. Yeah. So so the uh the undumped ganglia feeling that Saru expresses there. Uh it really made me laugh and uh he's my drunk Shimoda. How about yourself? Uh the part that made me laugh was when uh May and Tilly reboarded the disco as it uh dipped itself into their dip. <laughs> and uh and uh May You dipped the is- disco, you took a bite. <laughs> And then you dipped the disco. Double dipped? What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, May, quite helpfully, is like, uh, when they're trying to figure out where the crew went, May is like, maybe they died trying to save you. <laughs> and, Til- and Tilly's line read of, hey, thanks for that, is so good <laughs> Yeah. in this scene that they ended up using the reversed negative for what went into the show. Really? Yeah. So if you if you scroll to this scene, her badge is on the other side of her chest. Whoa. Which I mean, I'm sure I've done this several times before in my in my video career. I'm sure you've done the same. Sometimes you're forced to take a reversal because of some continuity strangeness or a or a performance decision by someone on camera, but uh Mary Wiseman's line read here so good that they had to flip it and use it. Wow. For some reason, so did not uh, notice scene, that. 
Good catch. This is my drunk Shimoda. Hey, you're listening to The Greatest Discovery. This is Mary Wiseman, Cadet Tilly, and Captain Kelly. What do we have uh, coming up on the next step, Ben? Well, there was a uh, little bit of a vasectomy toward the end of this episode. Uh-huh. And, uh, An edited shows, package. <laughs> shows uh, Saru is off to kick some Armus ass, it looks like. It looks like it's war, Ben. Yeah. Are we talking about like a G story for the Spock story in this next episode? Like we keep <laughs> we keep cramming it down. Like if we're if we're setting up uh, alphabetical stories, we're like we're stepping on the garbage can, squishing them down to make more room at the top. It, it, I have lost track of how many letters we would need yeah. to describe <laughs> the number of stories. So yeah. maybe somebody can add all those up. Uh, looks pretty exciting though, and and. Finally, some answers about uh, the Saru prognosis. Yeah, I didn't see I didn't see Culber in there, so who knows? I'm gonna predict Culber ain't right. <laughs> wow. Maybe he only wants to walk around without pants. <laughs> <laughs> Culber, you got to put on some pants, man. Well, Adam, uh, that's the end of uh, this this week's episode. We'll leave it with Robs, 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 Robs from here. Uh, I enjoyed watching this, even though it was the first bad episode of the season. Me too. I always enjoy talking about new Trek with you, Ben. All right. Take it away, Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. Hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. And it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.